0: Remember that time the Pac-12 blew up because the Apple media deal wasn't good enough for everybody? Yeah, they might have been right. You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day welcome everybody to another episode of locked on college football i'm your host spencer mclaughlin thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet earth realignment media rights the transfer portal coaching carousel we cover it all today's episode is brought to you by fanduel make every moment more new customers join today and you'll get 200 dollars of bonus bets if your first bet of five dollars or more wins visit fanduel.com locked on to get started. So many moons ago, the Pac-12 was trying to keep itself alive. They failed to do so for all intents purposes, though it still exists legally And Oregon State and Washington State will play under that umbrella this year. Not sure if they're going to have a conference championship game, but we'll talk about Florida State and Nebraska later in today's show as well. But I was thinking about this because ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers announced this new joint streaming venture to get fans sports to deliver it directly to them and i thought about this in the context of that league's downfall and thought to myself so were they actually right to pursue an apple deal because when that deal was presented many moons ago it was rejected by the heavy hitters in the conference at the time that being oregon and washington once they jumped to the big 10 Everyone went to the Big 12 and the league was done. Cal and Stanford soon got into the ACC for a much reduced rate, less than what they would have actually made, by the way, in media rights, at least in the short term, with, with, with the Apple deal, if this is all, in fact, about money. But Cal and Stanford don't have that particular objection there. The deal was going to be worth, be worth $23 million per school to start. And they would have gotten into the 30s and 40s if they just had, you know, two million subscribers, which when you consider the uh, geographic nature of the fan bases they were appealing to, I don't think that would have been a very hard sell. I think there are more than a million or two million people who would have paid to watch Pac-12 football because... You were covering a lot of territory at that time you still had seattle you still had portland you had salt lake city with you with utah you still had the bay area you had the arizona schools down in phoenix i think you would have been able to cobble that together now would it have been on par with what oregon and washington will eventually make in the big 10 once they become full members no no they, they they definitely were not going to get there could they have pushed towards the upper limit some estimates were going to be around 50 million dollars that's not a guarantee and at the end of the day the teams that jumped away from that deal primarily Oregon and Washington is what the reporting has indicated that they were the ones you know Rob Mullins the athletic director at Oregon the president at the University of Washington were the ones who spoke publicly and said we felt that this was the more stable sturdy situation because well they've got the linear product and that was a big discussion point big discussion point at the time you got to have a linear component, you have to be there. And yet here we are just a handful of months later, and there is an announcement about taking those linear channels and packaging them into a streaming service. And Oregon State and Washington State have to be throwing up their hands going, if people pay for this and this is the direction the way that, that, that sports broadcasting and media are going, what in the world did we blow this all up for? If it was going to be streaming anyway, what in the world were we doing? And so the allure of being in the bigger conferences was compounded by the appeal of having a linear television deal that was worth X amount of dollars. But remember, Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten are making just over $30 million until about the end of the decade. Then they'll kick in to be full media rights members and make far more than that. But for the next you know six seven years the apple deal would have been for about five years by the way you're gonna be making about 30 million bucks cal and stanford have taken a pay decrease and the three big 12 schools have moved on arizona arizona state utah and colorado who jumped ship before this deal ever even got to the table they jumped for a deal that's 31.7 million dollars well that that that's a number that If the subscriber base had just hit like one and a half million, they would have been close to and probably eventually, though not 100% certain would have been able to get past. And I find this all to be fascinating because this is such an inflection point in college sports and in the media landscape, because you look at what that deal was passed over for and other major entities that have linear channels are trying to make it what the Apple deal was entirely, which was all streaming. And I think the uneasiness of the PAC 12 presidents, you know, having been through the Larry Scott PAC 12 network debacle, that was them trying to be forward thinking. But now you look at this deal and the the layout of it and go, well, wait a minute, were they right to turn down ESPN and say, we want to go to a streaming deal? The question can at the very least be asked because ESPN is moving towards a direct-to-consumer model. They're forming this streaming conglomerate for sports to bring you all these channels via a subscription method that you'll have to pay for. So anybody thinking, well, you know, fans wouldn't have wanted to pay for this. They wouldn't have wanted to pay for that. Guess what? Starting this fall, it appears, you're going to have to pay for this sort of stuff anyway. This is where the media rights deals are going. Here's a thought. It sounds crazy. I don't think it is, but it might to some. The linear television deals that drove the Big Ten and the SEC to to pull away and the ACC and the Big 12 to have stability that the Pac-12 was trying to chase but turned down foolishly in hindsight, of course. Are those deals going to be the last ones that involve traditional linear partners? There is a very real possibility that that's the case. Those deals are going to expire early to middle of next decade, the ACC is the latest one in 2036. The other three conferences are in the early 2030s. Once those expire, there could be a world in which you don't have traditional linear television in which everything is just streaming bundles and pay for individual channels and pay for this sort of stuff. That's the shift that is being undertaken in the college sports and sports broadcasting landscape writ large right now. And so, the thinking behind this streaming sports or sports streaming conglomerate between ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers is they'll be able to bring you ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, but also ACC Network, but also ESPN Plus, but also Big 12 Now, but also all of this other content that they're selling in a direct to consumer fashion, kind of like what Apple was proposing with their deal of, hey, if you want to access this particular content, you pay this for this specific service and you pay X amount of dollars here. That appears to be the direction in which it is moving. Linear television has not been phased out yet. But tell me it doesn't look. Every indicator that you see, like linear television, is on its way out the door. We are moving to a hybrid model. We've got NFL playoff games exclusively on a streaming service, exclusively on Peacock. 23 million people watched. You know why? Because it's a compelling product. And it turns out, if you have a good product, people will pay to watch. And I just wonder how everyone is thinking about this stuff retroactively on this wonderful Friday morning, afternoon night, whenever you're listening to or watching this show. I thank you for doing that, by the way. As these moves start to get made, this is just the biggest inflection point possible in college football. You've got realignment. You've got players starting to be recognized and treated as employees and working through that space. You've got the NIL debacle and the NCAA's poor handling of that particular situation. And then you have the way that we're consuming sports just changing all the time. And an argument can readily be made that the Pac-12 was right to go after this sort of deal. They might have been a few years too early, but it was seen as you can't have a streaming only deal. You can't. I think everybody's going to be there one day anyway. That's that's where it feels like the world is going. I'm no expert on the media rights front. I'm just reading the tea leaves as the news comes out. Florida State's in an interesting situation. Florida State is in an interesting situation because I can't see a world in which they don't make the playoff in 2024 i can see a world in which you go over to FanDuel though and find everything you're looking for because that's america's number one sports book happy super bowl to all who celebrate if you're like me super bowl sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch grabbing your favorite football snacks i'm a wings chips and beer kind of guy and placing some super bets fandle has so many ways for you to end the season with a w or two Or three, not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more wins, just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Remember that time Florida State was robbed of a playoff spot they should have had? Me neither, because I don't think they should have. Going into next year, though, I don't see a world in which Florida State isn't in the playoff coming out of the ACC. So we live in a world in which the Big Ten and the SEC have separated from the ACC and the Big 12. You can refer to it as the Power Four if you'd like. It's the Power Two and the Next Two. Who are above everybody else but it's the next two not the power four that's the way that these conferences shifting around has really laid out college football for us going into 2024 and 2025 and i feel obliged to remind you there's not currently a playoff contract for 2026 and beyond even more change could be coming because why not you've already spilled the chili kevin just dump it all out of the pot at this point so Florida State going into next year has a lot of new faces. I mean a lot. Jordan Travis, he's not there. Jared Verse, he's not there. Keon Coleman, he's not there. You can go down the list of players from that loaded FSU roster that had a nasty defense and a great offense only when Jordan Travis was there. And you can say, boy, that's going to be tough to repeat. Boy, Florida State, I don't know. I don't know they lost a lot this is very true here's another thing that's true two things actually number one they have brought in a tremendous amount of talent that is going to make an impact right away and number two they have perhaps the most workable schedule of any conference contender in the country let's dive into those points starting with the roster here they've brought in the fourth ranked transfer portal class bested only by Oregon Ole Miss and Colorado so far that's that's where Florida State is at for immediate talent acquisition where are those players coming from you might ask oh that's a great question that's a great great question well they got a guy who grades as a four-star transfer on the defensive line from Oregon State in addition to their quarterback DJ Uyunglele also an Oregon State transfer I'll get to him as he's back into the ACC for his probably final year of college football is what I believe is the situation for him They've brought in eight transfers. One, two, three, four, five. I gotta go into second hand now. Six, seven, eight. Eight SEC transfers. I just pause to just let that let that marinate, let that simmer a little bit. Just kind of turn the burner on low and just kind of let things simmer and start to boil up. And now you realize, wait a minute. So they lost all this big time talent that that really, really made an impact last year. But, but they're bringing in how many guys from the SEC? Do you know who's benefited from Kalen DeBoer being the head coach at Alabama rather than Nick Saban? There have been a lot of teams, perhaps no school more so than Florida State. Because Florida State now has names like Sean Murphy, who was once a very highly touted linebacker recruit that went to the Crimson Tide. They've got Rydell Williams to come in and play the running back position. And Jonathan Smith went to Michigan State. Well, that creates an opening because DJU went into the portal. He comes into Florida State with a wealth of experience. They do have the number 12 high school portal, high school recruiting class as well. But we all know the transfer portal makes more of an impact on a team's prospects in a given season nowadays because those are guys that you typically bring in. To start right away, we'll see if any freshmen make an impact. It's not like it's unheard of or completely gone by the wayside in this wonderful sport that we call college football. But Florida State is not going to have as big of a roster drop-off as it may seem on the surface, because they've brought in players at a variety of positions and they've brought them in from the conference that has out recruited everybody, you know, forever. Did you know, that the SEC. Now that Georgia has the number one class in twenty twenty four post. Second National Signing Day, which came and went like the Detroit Lions Super Bowl chances. That was uncalled for. But Georgia gets the number one class. It's the 16th year in a row. 16th year in a row that the SEC has had the number one class. So that conference, which has been known for It Just Means More, and we recruit better players and have more talent, put more guys in the NFL, eight players from that conference are going to play for Florida State. And Florida State should absolutely be considered the favorite in the ACC next year because Clemson still refuses to take transfers. I think that's a detriment. I I, I don't think that's a feather in Dabo Sweeney's cap for sticking to his guns and building it his way. No, I think it's held them back. I think they've still got a lot of talent on the roster. There's no doubt about that. They could have a bounce back year. But to say that they are able to... To put together a roster the way that Florida State did, the way that Florida State has and will continue to do. Yeah, I don't I, I don't see that being the case. So as you look at Florida State's schedule, there is only one team that you could make the argument, and I think they would still probably come out underneath once 24-7 puts together their their composite rankings here. They would come out on top of every team on their roster except maybe Notre Dame as still being more talented because this transfer portal class is going to make an impact. You're going to have DJ U as a starting quarterback. So let's talk about him before we get to the schedule. DJU is what I like least about Florida State. I do not care for DJ Uyungalule as a high-end quarterback. However, if you're asking him to be, A mid-tier quarterback, he can do that. That's what he is. He is not a Heisman contender. I don't think he's got a big NFL future. He's got elite traits, but he is wildly inconsistent. So what does he need around him? What he had at Oregon State? Why he went to Oregon State in the first place? You have to have a good roster and a good coaching staff to support him so that he's not the focal point. He had his moments last year, but certainly was not perfect. I think Mike Norvell is a really good coach. He's also a ticked-off coach because his team just got snubbed out of the playoff in his view. Not mine, but that's how he feels. Don't underestimate guys that get a chip off the old shoulder, that suddenly have an extra level of motivation to be at their very best. And Mike Norvell, at his very best, built a playoff-caliber team. And he's got a playoff-caliber team, not because of DJU, but in spite of DJU, and because of their schedule. So this is Florida State's schedule. Are you ready for this? A schedule that features just four true road games. Only four of them. That's it. One of them is against a team that was in the group of five a year ago. This is a 10 win minimum I I mean bare minimum schedule for Florida State. And frankly 12 and0 is not out of the question. I think 11 and 1 is the most likely. I cannot see them winning fewer than 10 games here with how Mike Norvell has proven to be as a coach, the talent that they have brought in and this schedule get a load of this. They open on August 24th in Ireland. Who baby Who are they playing? Georgia Tech? Kind of an upstart program, done some nice things, went to a bowl game last year. Who do you think is going to be favored in that game? By how many points? Yeah, I know who I'm picking to win that game. Then they come back home for three consecutive games against, wait for it, Boston College, who just lost their head coach, Memphis, who still plays in the American Conference, and Cal, who is going to go all the way to Tallahassee for a classic ACC Conference game. Justin Wilcox, not a bad coach. Cal's not going to be a bad team. They're not going into Tallahassee to win that particular game. I say that as a de facto Cal Bears fan, of course. That's a longer story. Then they go on the road for the first time. For the first time, they play a true road game, and they go at SMU. Dangerous team that lost to Boston College in their bowl game, by the way. But Rhett Lashley's doing a nice job, and they're going to be prepared financially to try and compete in the ACC. Then they come back home to play Clemson. Wait, Clemson at home? Whoa, whoa, hey. Whoa, whoa. They beat Clemson on the road last year, just barely in Death Valley. A Little bit different when you're at Doak Walker Stadium. Just, Just a wee, just a wee little bit. Then they go at Duke, transition year. So the two road games we've got for Florida State here are a team that was playing in the American Conference last year and a first year head coach with a new quarterback. Okay, Then they come back home against Miami and North Carolina. I'm I'm still waiting for Miami to pop in the ACC, and I refuse to trust North Carolina, especially without Drake May at the helm. Then they go at Notre Dame. That's their toughest game of the year before they close with a cupcake against Charleston Southern or something like that and Florida with a coach who's on the hot seat, who they beat last year on the road with a third-string quarterback. That's 10 wins minimum for Mike Norvell and company. And I think I like 11 and one that puts you in the ACC title game. And I have a hard time seeing a power 4, 11 win team not being in the playoff. No matter what. Did you know that the most interesting team in college football is in Lincoln, Nebraska? I'll tell you why. Nebraska is the most interesting team in college football one that everyone is kind of waiting around to see what happens this is this is true about colorado as well who they play in their second game of the season here's why nebraska is the most interesting team in college football matt rule came in last year inherited a team that just had a i i, I border on calling it a sickness to lose one possession games i mean there is no team there is no fan base that has remained as loyal as nebraska whilst having their hearts ripped from their chests and served to them on a platter week after week after week over the last several seasons it's truly astonishing and matt rule has to try and fix that we'll talk about the quarterback situation later because that's integral to what he's going to do as well but the University of Nebraska has had a propensity to lose those sorts of games. Do you know why they lost them last year? They couldn't score. They, they, they could not score. Do you know what Nebraska's record was last year? If I just ask you off the top of your head, hey, what was Nebraska's record last season? What would you say? Well, they weren't any good. They didn't make a bowl game. True. How many games did they miss a bowl game by? Oh, that's right. One by one game they went five and seven in Matt rules first year part of the reason they're the most interesting team in college football is because Matt rules two years or two stints rather in college football as a head coach previously at Temple and Baylor have seen year two be what you might call a pop season everything has popped like popcorn you put the kernels into the microwave and then you, you press the popcorn button on the microwave and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, you're waiting, and pop, you see that first kernel pop. And then all of a sudden, you start to get excited because you're like, oh, more kernels are gonna pop. Oh, there's more, oh, there's more. And suddenly you're you're waiting for that wonderful, beautiful, steaming hot, buttery bag of delicious popcorn, which I might be heating up after I record this show. So Matt Rule at Temple and Baylor, his year two projections. Or, or rather progressions in his win total, goes something like this. Plus four and plus six. That didn't happen in the NFL. Guess what? I don't care. He's coaching college football, not the NFL. And you know something that he's got at Nebraska that I just want to take a moment to shout out Husker fans for? He's got relentless support. That is one of the best fan bases in all of college football because they continue to show up for a program that has just gone full on Wanda Maximoff taking the metal heart out of Ultron in Avengers Age of Ultron. They're just sucking it right out. That's after her brother dies and she's filled with vengeance and she says, do you know what it felt like? And then she takes it out, and then she's got it in her hand with her magic, and she says, it felt like that. That's how Nebraska fans have felt. They just keep showing up out there. And I, for one, salute them for doing so. They show up for volleyball, too. You ever seen those crowds? If you build it, they will come is the old expression. At Nebraska, it's already built. They're already coming to the games You just need to win to give them something that makes it worthwhile. And if Nebraska can right these one possession wrongs and follow the trajectory that Matt Rules had at his previous two programs, that's going to be quite the thing to watch in the Big Ten. Now, their schedule in the Big Ten is not exactly a cakewalk. It is also not, however, the hardest thing I've ever seen, impossible, unworkable, not doable, because for Nebraska, They've got a great defensive staff. I mean, they quietly had one of the best defenses in college football last year. 18.25 is the number points per game allowed. Problem is they scored about 18 points per game. Well, if you you don't need to go Lincoln Riley here and score 30, 35, 40 points a game. can you just score like 25 a game? Can you just score like 20, 24 points a game, maybe? That would take nebraska from five and seven to what exactly i mean it'd be at least seven wins have to imagine maybe even in the eight or nine range but if matt rule in his two stints is averaging five more wins than his previous year does that make nebraska automatically poised for a 10 win season you tell me you tell me whether or not that statistical trajectory will play out here at nebraska you know one thing i know about being the head coach of the Cornhuskers. Uh, you have at least equal, if not superior facilities and quality of job and access to what you need to win as you have at Baylor and Temple. Those are the spots that he's turned around. Dave Aranda right now is learning just how tough it is. You know who he's brought in? Gary Patterson, TCU legend, because he, he, he needs some help there in Waco, Texas. And so when you look at what matt rule has done at places in which it is clearly not easy to sustain winning can he do it in nebraska of course he can he's not going to be suffering to try and you know get fans to show up to give him a home field advantage he's going to have that they just have to put the results on the field on the offensive side of the ball and defensively just run it back just run it back with what they did a season ago now where they can run into hurdles here is that their talent acquisition has been just okay. But a quick note on their schedule, which has got some tough games, but also plenty of winnable games. Do you know where their first four games are played in 2024? Each of their first four? That would be in Lincoln, Nebraska at Memorial Stadium, UTEP, Colorado, Northern Iowa, Illinois. Then they finally go on the road to Purdue. Are you expecting a lot from Purdue next year? I'm not. Then they come back home because one week away from home is far too many. They take on Rutgers. Then they go at Indiana. First year head coach, transition. Then they go at Ohio State. All right, that's that's going to be a really tough game. Then they host UCLA that is, um, let's just say, in a little bit of shambles right now because Chip Kelly doesn't really want to be there are what the indications are. Then they go at USC. That's a tough game. Wisconsin at home and at Iowa. Tell me, hearing that schedule there, how many guaranteed losses do you see there for Nebraska? How How many losses do you look at on paper and go, I cannot see a world in which I would pick them to win that game because I don't see a world in which they win that game. Ohio State, and by the way, I'm in the USC department here, And that's it oh ohio state and usc on the road i can't see them winning either of those games primarily because their quarterback situation isn't totally clear right now so they flipped dylan rayola he was going to georgia it was done and then all of a sudden he's in nebraska well if he ends up being the starting quarterback that could be one of the most fascinating quarterback battles to watch once spring football gets underway and we start hearing intel about this that and the other thing there when you have the idea in your mind that a true freshman is your best option at quarterback that does not mean things are destined to fail or not work out it also does not mean you are guaranteed success because true freshmen can have a very high ceiling like trevor lawrence they can have a very low floor like dante moore he eventually got benched at ucla he's now going to be the backup at oregon to try and start in 2025 so For Dylan Rayola, if he's the starting quarterback there, you know what the perfect situation is? For your first four college games to all be played at home. You couldn't dial it up any better. And five of your first six, this is their schedule. UTEP, home. Colorado, home. Not an easy game. Colorado will be tough. Northern Iowa, home. Okay, that's two wins in your first three games. Illinois at home. Don't sleep on that one. I'm, I'm not sleeping on the Illini here. But again, four in a row at home. Then at Purdue. And then home against Rutgers before they go at Indiana. Those. That's the first half of their schedule. And if you told me right now, Nebraska wins five of those games, I'd 100% believe you. I don't think they're they're destined to win six. I think that's a year three kind of move for Matt Rule. But if they start four and two or five and one, suddenly that could be a pretty confident bunch. I don't think they go into Columbus and beat Ohio State. But they, they don't have to go west and play Oregon. They got to go west and play USC. That's tough. But UCLA comes to them. And UCLA, not a team I feel great about right now. I'd like Nebraska in that game. Favorable schedule. Matt Rule in year two, Dylan Rayola, Nebraska is the most interesting team in college football. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.